This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. But it, it bothered me for like days after. Like I kept thinking about it. I was so pissed. Can, you guys, can you guys hear me breathing? No. No. Really? When I do that? Okay, that's so relieving. I like half hold my breath whenever we record. That's why that's why Tane doesn't talk because he passes out. <laughs> <laughs> it's on stage fright. He's just unconscious. <laughs> the entire time I'm conscious, I'm talking. I feel like I talk too much. I just I'm asleep for half the episode. Are we boring you? No, I just uh limit my breathing and I pass out. Okay. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this evening's episode. I guess you may not be listening to it in the evening, though. So, for the episode you're listening to, I'm Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Zach Blostein. Zachary, hello. Yo, yo, what's up? <laughs> Great. And uh, because Chris Nee, I think, is swimming in a pool of bourbon still, uh, we don't know his whereabouts. Uh, he's probably with Brett somewhere in some some gutter. Uh, we have Duncan, Dane, Draper... <laughs> Dane Train. Welcome, Dane. Hello. I'm here. I'm out of here, man. Wow, Bring more enthusiasm. Yeah, we talked. Yo, about- what's up, guys? There we go. Like 90s uh, talk jock radio. How's it going, everyone? I <laughs> just sound like Trey Rollin. <laughs> <laughs> what up, you douchebags? Yeah, that's my Trey. So we have a fun episode of On the Bench because we get to uh, relish in another Florida State win. The Seminoles are 3-0. For the first time since 2015, uh, were you guys? You guys were still in high school in 2015. Were you still in middle school? Were you in middle school in 2015? I might oh, have been. You definitely were, Dane. I was. I think that was my freshman year of high school. I'm pretty sure. Did you have facial hair? Did had you gone through puberty yet? I was probably just starting. I don't right. think I had facial hair until about two years ago. <laughs> That's really impressive, Dane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Florida State went up to Louisville. And we're going to have fun on this podcast. We got football to talk about. We're going to have to eat some crow, Zach and I. Uh, we are going to also get into recruiting as well. There's going to be a lot to go over from the game and, and for the week coming up for the Seminoles. Uh, but I think just big picture as we start off w- with this podcast, Florida State goes up to Louisville, wins 35-31, to 31, a, a dramatic game. Zach, remember last year I kept calling things gutsy. I think this is gutsy personified. This is yeah. Th- this one was what gutsy is in every sense of the word. It was incredible. I like we were talking today earlier today, and I just I still can't believe FSU won this game. Um, just you know, there's so many factors that went into it, right? Like the defense looked awful in the first half. Um, they pretty much could not stop anything that Louisville was doing. Malik Cunningham looked like a Heisman candidate like they usually make him look like in, in uh, FSU's games. 
uh, within the past few years. But uh, but man, um, they lose Jordan Travis, they lose Jared Verse. They I mean, we'll get into the injuries, but they lose these key players. And not I'm not even naming like guy like Robert Scott. You're probably your best offensive lineman, and then Malcolm Ray went down later on. So you lose so many players. You were without Fabian Lovett. Duke Cooper played four snaps for you throughout the entire game, your best corner um, when he's healthy. And you, FSU wins the game. It's incredible to me. You had Tate Roadmaker as your starting quarterback. And trust me, I'm going to sing his praises, but man, he has not looked good before this game um, in, in any of his, you know, uh, live setting, in any live setting before here, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Duquesne game, he did not look good. The first drive of this game he looked awful but then this the second half happens and and he looks like a serviceable quarterback and i just it's incredible um but yeah this is a really gutsy win by florida state and just kind of personifies mike norvell's team right like they they had so much adversity come up throughout this game and they still come out with the win yeah i going on tay rodemaker like i feel like if he threw the ball that well in a practice we would have considered it a really good practice for him like yeah. that was that was really really good but yeah, yeah i mean you're talking about the culture this it's such an evident shift and having guys like jordan travis go out just it's like the defense improved after all that happened like they know they needed to step up and they kept believing and they looked confident still and it was really crazy jared verse goes down malcolm ray goes down it's just that was really impressive it was a shock <laughs> Would you, say, would you say gutsy as well, Dane? I would say gutsy as well. Oh, okay, gutsy. We're all in agreement. Three gutsies. Uh, the the gutsy. scene, like <laughs> the scene after the game, too. Like to me, it just it summed up so well, like what this team is currently, where this program has landed, like where where it was, where it's gotten to. Seeing the way players celebrated with each other. Uh, seeing the swagger they had, like the the almost the vitriol, like towards Louisville fans, was kind of cool. Jared Verse was on the sideline in his street clothes, uh, obviously because he left the game with the with a knee injury. And uh, we'll get into all the injuries and stuff in a little bit here, guys. I know that's what a lot of people are wanting to know about, um, and we'll do our best to to provide updates and context as to what what's going on uh, as we're recording this on Sunday evening. But Jared Verse was still so animated it, into the game. He was like taking like the rail, the metal railing, uh, the dividing, uh, like the barricade kind of that that has uh, between the players and then the sideline, about the five six yards of sideline between them and the the crowd. And he was like, oh, he I think he like knocked it over. He was so like emphatic and adamant about the win after the Kevin Knowles interception, and then all the defenders going and dropping the upside down L's to Louisville fans. Uh, but beyond that, and just like that again, that swagger that you have. Uh, Mike Norvell, like just so joyous and excited and proud of his team. He's going and throwing footballs into the stands to the crowd. Uh, he, to me, it seemed like he had been crying. Like his eyes seemed seemed puffy afterwards. I think he was so relieved and proud of of his team. Watching the way Jordan Travis and Tate Rodemaker interacted with each other, not just during the game with with Jordan talking to Tate a lot, but then afterwards, Jordan finding Tate twice and giving him a hug. Seeing the relief on Tate Rodemaker's face, like just that smile is just very like almost boyish and. Uh, youthful, like exuberance, like, man, it was just, it was so cool. And for all the reasons you guys laid out of all the things that were, uh, this team was up against in the contest uh, for Florida state to, to have won that game, to be looking at three and O injuries are going to impact potentially where this team can go. Uh, 
but I'm learning every single game. It feels like every single week of covering this program is, is not to set limitations on what they can do because they all seem to believe in each other. They believe in Mike Norvell. Uh, did, did you guys catch the post-game press conference by any chance and Mike Norvell's comments and his passion, anything stand out to you guys about that? I think the first 10 seconds of it um, <laughs> kind of uh, just show the, the amount of relief he had. I mean, he, he, I think like everyone's video kind of started up. Um, he goes, give me a second. And then he just kind of looked <laughs> down. I think he was looking down at kind of the stat sheet or yeah. I don't know what it was. Um, but he, he, he was, I think he was gathering himself as yeah. much as he was looking down at stat. He but he was like, like pretending to look at the stat sheet. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was just like gathering it himself, was and getting his emotions yeah. together. But man, that was awesome to see. And, and that reminds me of, of last year against Miami. There was like a clip on, on Twitter. It was like a slow-mo video of him kind of just taking it in um, after the game. That kind of reminded me of that. And man, it's just like, like to be in his shoes, like you got to be so proud of, of, of the guys that, that, that went out there and, and got this done. I mean, Tate, um, for all that he's been through, he goes out and pretty much, you know, wins you the game. Obviously, the defense had a, a large part in that as well. Um, but but his poise and just confidence were so impressive to me. Uh, I just can't believe that that he got it done. Um, just it's awesome. And I, and I think Norvelk saw that and and that's what I took away most. And he obviously went to detail just about, you know, the play of Tate. Um, obviously we'll get into Johnny Wilson's play. Um, but, but yeah, I, like th- that first 10 seconds kind of is what stood out to me the most more than, you know, the coach speak and everything else that, that went into his, his press conference. It was a ton of coach speak, but it was like, like you, you buy into that too. You though. believe it, right? Yeah, yeah, because you're seeing it on the field. It has to everything he's saying has to be true. This exactly. is he's explaining how it is, and that's a really special thing. I don't know how many other programs have like this this much of a bought in team, especially for a tenure with a coach who hasn't been everything successful. Right. Players, you know, players. Did you notice? Like, I don't know if you guys listened to Kevin Knowles' interview after. Uh, Kevin's a little bit more soft-spoken. He's thoughtful, but he, he's kind of chooses his words carefully and quiet. And he kept he kept reiterating today's point, like these these mantras that Mike Norvell has. He kept reiterating them and talking like he was an extension of Mike Norvell. And I remember like when things were like clicking under Jimbo Fisher, uh, like Rashad Green, we called him the uh, the process zombie because he was like, or the, sorry, the process robot because he was Jimbo Fisher's like he loved talking about the process. He was just like regurgitated like a robot, like everything Jimbo wanted him to, to say and to be he encapsulated what like Jimbo wanted his players to be. Uh, it's so cool. Like that this is if you can see that kind of happening in live time with this program. Uh, Dane, so let's take us through uh, the quarterback play. We're going to get to Tate Rodemaker. First off, like Jordan Travis. Can we start considering he loses, he leaves the game. I'm sure everyone listening to this knows what happened. He leaves the game with uh, an apparent lower leg injury. Uh, in the second quarter, he was phenomenal before the injury. I'm pulling up his stats yeah. right now. 13 of 17, 157 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, can we start, Dave, like considering that this guy is a potential NFL draft pick, like someone who's going to get looked at by NFL teams for the for what he's put on display so far this season? Yeah, he hasn't. Um, he's So he's looked at as this scrambler, right? But he doesn't use his legs to run much at all. Like he doesn't, he hasn't had much rushing success, or he hasn't really had much rushing attempts so far this year at all. Um, I mean, if you look at like 
betting stuff. He's always listed at like, you know, over under 36 rushing yards a game or whatever that is. He's always under that. Mm-hmm. He just uses his legs really well to escape the pocket. He has incredible escapability, which is a, is an asset in the NFL. And he keeps the eyes downfield really well. He's super patient. Whenever you feel like he gets, whenever he gets out of the pocket, you always feel like he's going to hit somebody. Mm-hmm. He had an incredible game, but I mean, that nothing was surprising about any of the throws he made or any of the decisions he made. The pick obviously was really we see unfortunate. It, we see it in practice every week. He it's looks so like consistent. Yeah. He never like in practice. Yeah. He never doesn't look like that. It's it blows me away. I talked him up so much on the uh, Know Thy Enemy episode with Trey. Like uh, I was thinking that I was talking about how the spread on that game was two and a half, but if people could see how Jordan Travis practices and how unbelievably consistent he is at that level, that line wouldn't be under a field goal. And I mean, I really think he's one of the better quarterbacks. I I think he's probably like a top 15 quarterback in the country, at least. Uh, passer rating wise, he's top 25 PFF, which doesn't, you know, which helps correct for drops. And, you know, he's had a, a handful of those got to skew his stat line Especially in the last the three games. Yep. LSU specifically, but even the interception like hits <laughs> hits Cam McDonald's in the hands. Cam didn't get his head turned around. That's how accurate it was. It hit the player in the hands without the player putting his hands out to try to catch the ball. <laughs> uh, but but PFF has him, I think, uh, somewhere in the top five. I don't have it right in front of me, but Pro Football Focus has him graded as a top five quarterback in the country. And not just at, like today's point, his pass, his rushing grade isn't great. It's like average. It's like 65 or something like that. His passing grade is top five as well. Uh, he he runs to throw now. And I think Absolutely. that's like a, that's a sign of like I'm not comparing to Aaron Rodgers, but that's like what Aaron <laughs> Rodgers' top trait is. That I said that's what the great quarterbacks have to do now. If you want to be a good NFL quarterback, you have to be able to move, and you have to be able to move while still being able to throw the ball. And that's like where he's going. Yeah, I'm not comparing him to Aaron Rodgers. I, just, I need to reiterate that Jordan Travis, not Aaron Rodgers. Brennan, do you remember the other day in practice when we were watching him? I mean, we were just watching everything, whatever. But he underthrew whoever it was, and um, and it, like, mm-hmm. perked our ears up. Like I mentioned to you, I was like, oh, whoa, he didn't hit the guy exactly where he, he needed to hit the guy. That's crazy. And then we realized it was on the receiver. It was, like it was yeah. the receiver running the route two yards too deep, and it would have been a perfect throw. We, we can't like, hear everything that Norvell and Jordan say to each other, but we can read body language. And like whenever Jordan does have a missed throw, and I don't mean just like it wasn't a super accurate one, like a miscommunication, a misread, something like that. Uh, their way they talk to each other, you could tell that Jordan can explain to him what he saw or why he saw it. And Norvell usually like understands the thought process. And it's just so valuable to have like that dynamic as a quarterback and as a play caller for that to be in unison and just, builds confidence on each other uh with, with that in mind guys like dan i'll throw this to you like what's going through your mind when you see him go down and grab the ankle uh in the second quarter uh, it felt right you know it felt like, like said, not right sorry that felt exactly like how it was always going to be um <laughs> like, like, like how you, how you envisioned so it in your, in your mind like it felt yeah. like everything you had it fear like a like a nightmare yeah, coming true. yeah exactly yeah um I mean, you just think about what I mean, it felt like the game was over, right? It I did. guess I'll say that. That's what I texted. Brendan was very upset. But uh... <laughs> Zach's just become so pessimistic in his viewpoint for everything. Is that why you predicted FSU to lose? They almost did. Continue. That was yeah, an emotional um... hedge. And if I'm just going to keep p- picking FSU to lose because apparently that's a good luck charm. So Boston College. <laughs> you better go. not. Oh, watch me. I don't care. 
I don't care. Continue. Sorry. I think I'm saying that it felt like the game was over. I don't know if it felt like the game was over, but we hadn't run the ball like extremely well. And we definitely weren't playing super well on defense. We were playing really poorly on defense. Um, yeah. LSU had moment. Like the offense was kind of bogging down a little bit after starting really, really Louis well. Yeah. What'd I say? LSU? Yeah. yeah. Dude, I cannot wait for like to be beyond this stretch. It's just, it's constant. The L's for me. Are, tweeting about LSU. <laughs> yeah. The, the team doesn't have any L's. So I'm just adding extra L's into my mind right now. Yeah. You're so used to it. Um, yeah. No, but yeah, when I saw that injury, man, like, I don't mean to steal Bane's thunder, but I do. Um, yeah, <laughs> when I saw that, I mean, I was like, really? Like, come on. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, so FSU's had bad injury luck throughout the season. Obviously, in that game specifically, Jared Verge, Jordan Travis, Robert Scott. And you look at this and, dude, Brendan, stop trying to mess with me. Um, and, and, you look, and you look at this injury, it's like, man, like, he is the un- – he's undoubtedly the most important – player on this roster and he goes down and we've been saying all offseason that there's a really low chance that that Jordan Travis will get through the season healthy just because of of you know the past history in the past two seasons of, of kind of seeing how um FSU utilizes him and and him running the ball and and like Dane said he wasn't even running the ball that much but this came on a pre- you know a pressure a, a sack um I think it ended up it was almost an interception, but it he was, was down. A sack, yeah. yeah, so it ended real, up being attacked. Real quick, uh, keep that your your train of thought there, Zach. I just have to say, like the that sack or the interception, and it was ended up being ruled a sack because it was intercepted initially. And they and they re- reviewed it, and that his knee was down. Jordan Travis gets tackled and twisted his ankle, twisted, and or that's what it looked to be in the ankle area. We'll put it that way. Injury talk, uh, and he had the the wherewithal to. He grabs his body, like he grabs his left ankle area because it hurt. Obviously, that was just his innate like reaction. But then also had like the the mental like fortitude, the awareness to also start gesturing to his right knee to be like, "Hey, I was I was down. That's not an interception." And he's just come so far of like being this uh, super thoughtful, charismatic like leader at quarterback. They just seeing the game and processing understanding at such a high level anyway sorry i just, I just had to point out, that was in, in an awful moment in that game in and for jordan like also one that just shows like how far he's he's come yeah it's a good anecdote um i think yeah i mean you're right like he's the most important player on this roster and then that's a good reason why like he's just become such a great leader um he's so confident when he goes out there and then it's just really tough and i think um you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that he's not out for too long. We don't know. You know, Mike Norvell will hopefully address it tomorrow during the press conference. Um, but but we don't know of, of his status yet. He tweeted out some positive stuff. Um, there's no context to that yet. Um, great great news, was it? Great news. See you next week or something. Like, let's well, get he, it. He, he didn't say see you next week. He, he said, he no, but the other one was see you next week, wasn't he it? He said see you next week on oh, another okay. tweet. So we're decoding what was tweets that here. Uh, but... but <laughs> I, I will say, if you want to be Twitter sleuths right now, which you know everyone else does, so why can't we do it occasionally? Uh, the great news tweet did come, what would have likely been a couple hours after, like MRI ish area time. So, detective Brennan. Uh, I mean, we just, they get they get tested for stuff. Players who get yeah, hurt yeah. get tested yeah, for stuff. Usually the day after. Yeah, yeah. The and we believe oh. for him it would have been in the evening. So yeah, there there was some correlation with the tweet and. Uh, testing. I definitely think that it's not. We're not. I don't want to speculate. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, he's yeah. not out for too long. Um, yeah. 
but man during that moment i was like the this you know the, the sky is falling the world's ending like this is over like this game well, is done how you always act uh it, and then to make matters worse a uh, tate rotomaker comes out there not a great like not a good position and that's part of like what evaluating tate is it's been difficult because he's rarely been in a good position true um but to be fair it doesn't have to look like that and he had the intentional grounding and they had the interception and as bad as the interception looked in person uh re-watching the game on tv the next day it was it was an awful throw so at that point uh fsu goes into halftime down 21 to 14 uh, fortunate it's not worse honestly just based on how things really snowballed at the end of the second quarter but I think that's what we're all evaluating. It's like, what can FSU do on offense with a quarterback and Tate Rodemaker, who just every public appearance that we've seen from him, anytime it's been in a game setting or an actual game, like he's regressed or panicked, uh, nerves seem to take over. He just doesn't look like you see good moments in practice. We've talked about that and reported on it. Like there are really good moments for him in practice. Those do exist. We've talked about it. We got some, uh, caught some crap for that both in the spring uh, and in the preseason. It was always with the like couching of like depends on how he does in games. And we saw him against Duquesne. And it just seemed like the same old, same old. Seemed in the first half against Louisville, same old, same old. Uh, and something switched for him at halftime. And he came out and was a totally different player than what he's ever shown in games before. Uh, Zach and I have to eat a little crow because we both tweeted out that I don't know what the right move would have been. I was at that point thought you'd seen enough of Tate Rodemaker that you did not need to see him again because it was just going to just further lead to an implosion on his end. And I, I didn't know what the other answer was, but I am very happy Zach and I were both wrong. People were mean to us on Twitter, but I think we probably deserved it to an extent. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to read my tweet real quick. Then I'll get let you get to your thought. Um just so, just so I can eat my crow, because um, I, I <laughs> gladly want to, right? Like, Tate is awesome for the way he finished that game. Um, but, yeah, so this I tweeted this right after that drive that Brendan referenced, so the bad interception. I go, even if Duffy doesn't win you this game, I can't find a viable reason you play Tate here. <laughs> and then um, I quote tweeted that. I quote tweeted that, like, right when the game ended. Like, there's the reason. Um, but, man, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> you know what uh, I, 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 dude, there's no way i like at that moment did you there was no way that no anyone thought like anyone was confident that he besides mike norvell and and tate roadmaker and maybe you know the staff his teammates I, yeah, yeah his teammates florida state besides them no one was confident that tate was going to go in there and, and win you this game especially after that first drive like that's that's usually the telltale sign of how the night's going to go but man he just came out of the second half uh you know slinging it yeah. Yeah. So we'll get into him settling down and, and kind of what he was able to do. Cause it's it almost miraculous. It's just so remarkable and impressive. Uh, Mike Norvell afterwards, after the game, like hitting the podium, like I knew we could win with Tate. Uh, and I felt like he may have been reading our tweets, like in the locker room before coming out. I don't know. Uh, Cause I was also very uh, down on Tate Rodemaker and basically said something. I'm trying to find my tweet. Um, oh, okay. I said, not trying to be an ass, which I wasn't trying to be. Uh, there's no need to play Tate again. You know what you know. I don't know if that means Duffy run the risk of ruining confidence for a freshman who doesn't seem ready. Uh, maybe a lot of wildcat FSU is in a bad spot. If Travis can't return, but you can't win with Tate. And Whoa. I had to write a story this morning. <laughs> saying, <laughs> we quoted Mike Gravel saying, you, I knew we could be an ass. <laughs> Man, he did read your tweet right before going out. <laughs> 
I knew we could win with Dane. Uh, Brenda. So how should oh. Dane? You decide how should Zach and I eat our crow? Fried, oh. uh, like a nice rotisserie. I say raw. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably deserve to get some sort of work. Is that how they do it on the farm, then? Yeah, yeah. Now they're big fried people. Maybe I can show you something about that. I don't know. But um, I, I was going to say, like, so Norvell's talking about <laughs> Norvell's saying uh, the confidence he's showing, or he has in, in Tate, how he knows he can win with Tate. And you might think that that's like something, of course, he's going to say or something. But I honestly fully expected them to come out and, uh, show at least some like wildcat i was wondering i was thinking maybe they go out like full wildcat or something and really just commit to 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 shortening the game try to be efficient with that you know block 10 like we're gonna try to score every drive defense step up maybe we can squeak out of this thing with a win squeak out of here with a win Uh, and no man yeah he was slinging it around dude and they lean into that that's the biggest thing man man. yeah you gotta chill with the language um what did he just say do i have to edit it out i didn't hear it he said they were sl- he was slinging it around. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> this um, is why Chris needs to be here. We need an adult at all times. I cannot no, be the I'm most never. mature one here. It's awful. All right, continue. <laughs> um, so the, I I think the biggest thing when they put Tate in, right? Like everyone is like, oh, they're just gonna run the ball completely. And yes, they did run it more in the second half than they did the first, um, because they knew that was Louisville's game plan, right? To come out was to to stop the run because they had and been Louisville, so Louisville poor. sucks against the run. Yeah, yeah. They had been so poor against the run. Um, so they came out expecting Florida state to run the ball with their talented backfield, but Jordan Travis was slinging it um, in the first half. And then you put Tate there and, and, you know, he's obviously a step uh, below Jordan Travis on paper. Um, you know, and I'm sure that's how Louisville scouted him and, and they came out kind of stacking the box and expecting FC to run, but Norvell leaned into it. I mean, he he uh, he had Tate passing the ball, which was super surprising. I think the most gutsy call of the night was that Jordan Travis, uh, I mean, Johnny Wilson catch in the back of the end zone, right? Like the fade. You, yeah, the fade was I, I just could not believe that was the play call. And like, I think if you don't get that, like fans are going to probably be really upset. Um, but they do complete it in, in a crazy fashion. And it was just awesome because like. That's exactly why you bring Johnny Wilson in. That's what we were talking about in the LSU game, right? Like he didn't make that catch in the LSU game, but those are the kind of passes you want to throw to Johnny Wilson. And that's the kind of stuff we see him, you know, do in practice. And it, it was just awesome to see it happen in the game. And obviously he had an, an incredible game aside from that catch, um, just really helped Tate kind of move the ball um, by getting, you know, wide open on Louisville's uh, defensive backfield. Especially Jarvis Brownlee. Jarvis Brownlee. Yeah. Brownlee yeah, he's Louisville's lowest graded player per PFF with like a 36 grade. It's a, it's a toughie. Hey, you know what was it? In all seriousness, see, we're going we're gonna to weave in and out between being immature and stupid and then getting into serious stuff. When Jordan got hurt, uh, it was it was Jarvis like went over to him pretty quickly and took a knee by him to make sure he was okay. Like wow, nice. that was that was that was a cool moment in in that game. Uh, so as much as we want to have fun at the performance of, of Jarvis Brownlee and some of his uh antics in the past like humanity and whatnot in the moment like that was cool um yeah that pass that i want to get into that that fade pattern was an amazing catch by johnny wilson and an incredible throw by tate rodemaker too like just perfect that's uh, how you draw it up they practiced those fade stuffs the uh, fade concepts a ton in practice when i asked johnny wilson about like what the play design was or not even the play design but just like what the read for Tate was and like whether like he was always going to do fade or whether there was like a, a built-in route 
Johnny just goes, it's just fade. <laughs> it's just a fade. <laughs> and easy, like when you're six foot seven, like, yeah, I guess so. Like, you just don't over overthink it sometimes. Uh, it's not fair, but, yeah. But let's go back to, to Tate Rodemaker a little bit more because it's just such a great story. Uh, the way FSU settled him, uh, settled him in, and, and Zach mentioned this, like Louisville sold out against the run. Like they were sending their safety. They were going to too high uh, set early on, and then they were sending the safety down like on a run blitz. Uh, FSU puts in what looked to me like a true RPO glance concept. Uh, and if, if the safety came crashing down, like that means Tate pulls the ball and throws it, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Johnny Wilson had a ton of space on this like kind of skinny post concept uh, and it was an easy throw for Tate, but he, he, he made the read correctly. He made the throw correctly. Johnny Wilson gets 20 something yards and all of a sudden Tate has a little momentum. The, the throw he had to Ontario Wilson, kind of a similar uh, area of the field over the middle on that same drive. Uh, really impressive. Like kind of the, the English that he had to put on the pass. Like it wasn't just a straight, like, got just got to chuck it in there. No, he had to, he had to kind of like manipulate the passing angle a little bit. That was impressive. And then that third down conversion, I think it was third and nine uh, for him to scramble the way he did and then have the, like the wherewithal of like where the first down marker was like for him to, to, uh, again, that was like a super, like he was clearly getting settled in at that play at that point. FSU calls the timeout, the very next play, 15 yard touchdown run for Lawrence to Philly. And that's what Tate said. Like he was comfortable by that point. And we end up seeing, him i'm pulling up the stat sheet now uh, he has that 69 yard pass nice later to johnny wilson and uh tate finishes six of ten on the evening so didn't throw the ball a ton you know fsu had that on that touchdown drive that first one under tate it was like six minutes and change 10 plays uh so try to shorten the game a little bit but he also delivered big passes when he had to six of ten 109 yards two touchdowns one interception uh, and just a pass rate of 197.6 i mean he was really good for the circumstances once it's settled down. Um, do we think that's replicable? Like, do we think that's something to legitimately grow off, you know, build on? Uh, like I say, say Tate has to start against Boston College this week. Like, could we, maybe not 197.6 passer rating, granted, but do we think this is now sustainable that he can lead you to somewhat regular, consistent scoring drives? Yeah, I think so. Um, no. I don't think it's, I don't think it's to the level of of just like anywhere near what Jordan Travis has the offense at um, when he's in this season. Um, but I think my worry before the season was I told you guys this many times, like when we we're at practice, like I just don't know if I'm comfortable and I feel confident that if Jordan Travis goes down, one of the other two scholarship quarterback can win you a football game other than maybe Duquesne and Louisiana. Right. Um but Boston College does not look like a great team. Obviously, Florida State opened up as a 15-point favorite um, early. Um, I guess that could change based on you know how injuries go this week. Um, but but yeah, I, I I feel confident that Tate, uh, along with the running game on offense, can can have this the you know the offense moving the ball well enough to win you the game. Um, I don't know you know if you if you go past this week and you go into to Wake or you know some of the other you know uh, programs coming up that are this, this is going to be one of FSU's, you know, toughest stretches coming up um, and, and just in a few weeks. So it's going to be vital to, to try and get Jordan back. Um, but, but yeah, I'm comfortable this week at least with Tate uh, going in there and, and likely getting you a win. I think you have a super simple game plan with Tate and like we saw a super simple game plan with him in, in the last game, like at Louisville. But um, I think it'll be interesting to see what that looks like with Tate if he's the guy. 
uh, see what see how they expand the playbook with him, see how they they play around him because it should look a little different than it does with Jordan. He can't do as much as Jordan can physically. But um but he also might have a bigger arm than Jordan. I think he probably does. Oh, um, yeah, in terms of being able to push the ball downfield. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so uh, if you can run the ball well against BC and play off that, I Tate's more than more than capable as we've seen now uh to go play action and hit a guy deep or wherever he needs to hit a guy. He has a live enough arm to hit any throw, I think. I think that's as we look forward, like if it's going to be Tate Rodder Baker in you know, a full game of action, if he has to come in in kind of an emergency like he did this past week, uh, he showed enough to where a defense cannot totally sell out. And if it does, like then you can maybe channel what you channeled on Friday, which is him you know, pushing the ball downfield or attacking the middle of the field with, with velocity and zip. Uh, but it's really cool that he has a supporting cast that can help him just like how Jordan Travis's play is like getting better. Well, he has better wide receivers and a good running back group too. Uh, it's helping. I mean, look at the numbers around both those guys on Friday. It's really impressive. Treshawn Ward, 10 attempts, 126 yards. The most quiet, like 126 yard performance maybe ever, ever yeah. on the ground. It, it didn't feel that way. Right. And then, uh, and then Trey Benson had 10 for 70 yards and his just when they came and the game uh, felt a little bit more impactful. And then tell Philly has, uh, 20 yards uh, and a touchdown. So between those three guys, uh, they rushed for, was it over 100? Yeah, well over 100 yeah. or 200, excuse me, well over 200 yards. Uh, and then Johnny Wilson, let's get to him, fellas. Seven catches, 149 yards, two touchdowns. He was targeted eight times. Um, so he catches almost everything that's thrown his way. He also drew at least two pass interferences and maybe three. And he's drew, I think he's drawn one in every single game this season. So like add that to the season stat total. Uh, he is – oh, someone someone explained to me how, how good he's been because I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of nerdy stats. You guys might be able to articulate it in a more interesting way than, than I will. He's just – when you're that big and you move that well, you're just such a weapon on offense, man. Like I've been saying all freaking offseason and, and into preseason camp, like if he doesn't drop the ball, he is like an all-ACC receiver. Like he's so good when he doesn't drop the ball, but that's been his biggest hindrance throughout fall camp and, you know, in, in game week practices, right? Like he'll have these amazing catches in practice. He'll get open. He'll beat a, a you know, a, a defensive back in, in, in one-on-one drills, like easily. Um, and some of FSU's best defensive backs and, but, but then he'll go and drop a ball, like an easy ball. So mm-hmm. that's the biggest knock to his air. game, but, but yeah, on air, but, you look at him in that game. I think he had eight targets. He caught seven of those and went for, you know, 167 yards and two touchdowns, whatever he ended with. Like, that is what you need from him every week. If he is if he is giving you that type of performance every week, like, that makes – like, if, if Tate has to start for you, right, against Boston College, like, that makes his job just so much easier. Yeah. Um, and then – and then even if you go into to wake and, and you let's say they have to start Tate for wake, like him playing at that level just helps this offense so much. Like, and, and it's crazy to think, cause I don't think, you know, obviously he had a, some good PFF grades blocking at, at Arizona state, but they did not utilize him like well at all, in my opinion. Right. Like if he's doing this stuff early at, at Florida state, like they're using they're you know, he's had a big play 
um, in every one of FSU's games so far. Um, and he even got injured, you know, for most of that Duquesne game. Um, but yeah, he, he's at in nine quarters of plays at 260 receiving yards this season. I think that would have placed him third on the roster last year. That's correct. Uh, and that's for not, that's like two games and change. Uh, he's also fifth nationally currently with yards per catch at 23.64. Uh, he actually leads all players with like double digit catches in yards uh, per catch. So he's the only guy with yet 10 plus catches uh, at, at 23 plus yards uh, per catch. So he's, yeah, he's the top five player in PFF uh, wide receiver grade for the season. Um, he's really good, guys. He's and we thought like there were moments, especially like as camp was progressing, like he just kept getting better and better because you'd seen yeah. flashes of it in the spring. They start putting it together a little bit uh, to where you're like, oh yeah, he's he's your number one. He's your dude. I, I took him in the top five for uh, the landing stickers for a reason because he was coming on in a very consistently impressive manner but I couldn't have foreseen like him being this impactful this early in the year. He's you may not, if he keeps doing what he's doing, you may not have him for more than this season. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Good thing. Go ahead. But yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. I think he's an NFL draft prospect. He seems yeah. hundred percent. He's a unique prospect. Uh, how many guys are six, seven that, I mean, one move like that, but how many guys are six, seven that are mm-hmm. draft prospects at wide receiver? that are that productive in college or can be that productive in college. And it wasn't even like the, like to Dane's point, like of that, that size, like the catch radius is, is crazy. And it, that touchdown pass from Tate, uh, the second one, the fade pattern shows like how much of a weapon, like what can Jarvis Brownlee realistically do? Like it was fairly well covered. It's just a five foot 11 cornerback versus a six foot seven wide receiver. Uh, but then even just some of the catches he made, like when Jordan Travis was in the game, the catch radius, like there's like he was turning and twisting to catch the ball. And dude, that's um, my favorite thing. Yeah. Like that, it, that's something he shows that in practice too. His body well, control. He had, he great. had yeah. that one against LSU um, on that, I think it was a third down play, right? Where he, mm-hmm. he like caught it on like on the side of his body, like almost like near the ground. And he did it again uh, this game. Like he's just usually when you see a receiver that big, like let's go back to like Auden Tate, for instance, right? Like Auden Tate was really good for Florida State, but a lot of his ball, a lot of his catches were off jump balls. Mm-hmm. Um, or or fade patterns or things you know in the red zone, but Johnny's making plays like down the field, like you know post routes, cro- like sl- like the the um his first touchdown catch catch was just like an inside slant, it was right? A slant, yep. Yeah. Where he was so, he he moved so well at his size, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that that's just so rare uh, for a guy that that tall, and he's like 235 pounds as well. So yeah, it's just impressive, man, and and he's just such a weapon. Um, if he can catch the ball, man, he's like an all-ACC receiver. And, and potentially a one-and-done for Florida State. Uh, well, we'll see if that just happens. That's consistent. No, he, you would like to have him for at least another year. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Arizona State, Zach mentioned a little earlier, RIP Herm Edwards' coaching career, he was uh, fired. Dude, RIP that school. They're going to get some big-time big oh. double <laughs> violation. Yeah, I uh, remember – when we were at the mega camp two years ago, they had so many guys at the mega camp and they were all really obnoxious. Like that staff was bothering me for some reason. They kept cutting in front of like other coaches, myself, like they were just kind of acting like, like they were ruling the roost. And, uh, wasn't that like right before the, the violations got like within a month, a month before. So yeah, like after I saw that, I was like, Oh, it kind of actually makes sense. Like this staff just kind of feels like they can do what they want to do. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, that was my first time doing anything like in person, like trying to 
do this, you know, covering whatever it is near campus and stuff. The, and the mega camp or the, yeah, uh, the mega okay. camp. It was the first time doing anything in person. And, um, it was like evident to me <laughs> how annoying those guys were. Oh, those were, I'm glad, I, I'm glad yeah. you saw it too. Yeah. We weren't even were like, just... we didn't want to have shared that with each other. That's funny. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's the offense. That's Tate Rodemaker. will be really interesting to see, I guess, what happens in the next week or so as we transition to talking about the defense here. Uh, let's talk about injuries and just kind of sum up like what happened during the game. So first off, Fabian Lovett did not play in the game. Uh, we'll talk about the defense again and, and what that meant for the, the run game, but very obvious that Florida State missed him. Jared Verse gets hurt in the first quarter, I believe, uh, definitely in the first half. Uh, he's in the, the – uh, medical tent for a pretty long while uh, comes out. You can tell he's like trying to move around on the knee a little bit and uh, it ends up uh, changing into his, his streets, his, his street clothes um, and doesn't play the rest of the game. I've heard op- decent things that make me feel optimistic about him long-term and the fact that he was walking around, the fact that he was acting okay uh, after the game was good as well. So, all these we will try to get updates officially from Mike Norvell uh, during Monday's press conference. Uh, Coach Norvell isn't always keen on talking about injuries. If you guys have picked that up, if you watch the postgame press conference, a local Louisville reporter tried asking Mike about Jordan Travis specific injury. Uh, and, and he was not having it. Yeah, sometimes you mess around <laughs> and find out. <laughs> um, so, the, OK, that's one injury that happened in game. Amorian Cooper played, but played sparingly. He didn't seem like he was going to be a big part of the game plan. So I don't think it was like four Four snaps. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's what Chris's story said. Four snaps. That's crazy. I didn't even realize that. That's what my story said. That's fine. Thanks for reading the byline. That was Chris's. It may have been both of us. But he only played four snaps. Uh, But again, it wasn't like he he left the game from what I can – like it seemed like he was on a limited basis. And I don't even know if they wanted to use him or if they kind of felt like they had to. I feel like it was more so like they they felt like uh, the – the initial like corners are struggling like yeah. in the game. They're like, okay, maybe like maybe you just play through this injury and you're better. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they kind of took him out after a, it seemed like uh, things didn't really change. I think that's a safe. I think that's a safe assumption. Uh, so there's that injury. Uh, obviously, the Jordan Travis one. It looked like lower leg. He was using crutches and had a walking boot uh, after the game. But I don't think he was using the crutches like after he was off the field. So he just had the walking boot on. So I, I think there's some level of optimism on that, but again, that's, that's more speculative and try not to get into that. Robert Scott went down. I'll, I'll tell you like the way Robert Scott, you're starting left tackle, the way he went down while I'm watching the game live. Like I, even before uh, he stayed on the ground, like my eyes like gravitated towards him because it went down so awkwardly. He got rolled up on. And usually you know, when that happens for a big guy, uh, his legs went one way, his, his like upper body went the other and he kind of fell backwards. Uh, hopefully that's okay for Florida State. I, I didn't see him after the contest and have honestly heard very mixed things on, on where that could be for him. So we'll see, and we'll get an update from Mike Norvell on Monday. Hopefully I keep saying that, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you lose Robert Scott for any period of time, you're already down. Bless Harris. You're starting right tackle at the start of the season. Caden Lyles, who's either going to start at center or be your primary backup. Uh, you're already down those two. Like, just the injury luck here has is, is not been great for Florida State so far. Malcolm Ray left the game late. Uh, he had a sling on at the end of the game, and, and someone who's dealt with shoulder injuries throughout his career, I believe. Uh, he was someone who was, like, really emotional after the game. You could tell he was upset, had been crying. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of that other than, than him being emotional and 
a reoccurring injury, you know, area of injury uh, seeming to be aggravated doesn't seem great. Uh, who else? Is there anyone else injury wise from the game? Talk about Jared versus the beginning, right? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, so yeah, the injuries, I mean, I went through and counted on our 40 most important player list, which is super accurate and a hundred percent like, uh, is it subjective, objective data? Uh, there's no subjectivity to it. Um, it's totally accurate. 10 of the top 40 players that we had preseason, uh, did not play or did not finish in the game on Saturday going into the top 10. I think five of the top 10 did not finish nor play uh, on Saturday. Um, so just really important players, which again, brings us back to like just being such a, a, a gutsy gritty performance for Florida state. Uh, let's talk about the defense. Now, fellas, FSU gives up 495 yards of total offense. Not great. 6.3 yards per play. Not great. Willing Cunningham looked great in, in large stretches of the game. He's 21 of 34 for 243 yards, a touchdown, a very untimely pick for him uh, for 125 pass rating, which isn't great, but you know, that he adds in the 127 yards rushing, two touchdowns, 7.5 yards per carry. Uh, wasn't really pressured a ton. I think FSU only had two sacks. Um, Dan, I'll start with you. What do we make of Florida State's defensive performance? Ultimately, you get stops when you have to, and – 31 points in a game is better than 31 points in a half, which has been the case the last two years. Florida State has played uh, Louisville, but um, but still it wasn't, I guess, super encouraging uh, holistically. No, definitely not. Um, you couldn't stop the run at all. Uh, it was a stat that you brought up in the text or whatever, but 3.67 yards before contact rushing. That's the worst it's been since Notre Dame in 2020. That's just really, really horrible. Obviously, it's a 10% stuff rate too, run stuff rate, which is like the zeroth percentile. Um, I mean, really terrible there. You didn't do a great job of of uh, keeping Willie Cunningham, like, like spying Willie Cunningham. Um, that all happened. And then you could also talk about the positives, though, more of the the cultural part and the fight part, you know, where Jared Verse goes down. You don't have Fabian Lovett. Uh, Malcolm Ray eventually goes down and Jordan Travis is out of the game and they do uh, really improve, but well, let, let's talk fun. about that. Cause, cause that was something you found really interesting. There were some parallels to the LSU game, the previous, uh, the previous contest, right. And that final drive uh, LSU marched down the field, 99 yards and, and scored what would have been a, a game tying touchdown, if not for the, the blocked extra point. Uh, this uh, Louisville was marching down the field or trying to march down the field to, to go ahead uh, and Florida State yeah. did not let that happen. Yeah. So against LSU, you have a ton of pressure the whole game with your defensive line, but the secondary, especially on that last drive is giving a play after play. And that was really concerning. We talked about the secondary being the most concerning unit on the team or on the, on the defense, sorry, especially your cornerbacks. And then, here against Louisville, it was weird. Um, you didn't get a ton of pressure, especially late. And then it was ended up being your secondary that saved you in that game. So I thought that was really interesting, for sure. Can we talk about Kalen DeLoach? Hell yeah. I love talking about Kalen. I love the way he He's plays. Mm-hmm. He's, um, his stock has just gone up so much for me, just on that defense. Like I think he's one of probably your most influential player right now that's healthy. Um, he is just everywhere um he didn't do a perfect job spying malik right like he got kind of outrun um on the edge multiple times but man that sack um was just so timely and just perfect 
um, kind of set set up that that late run, and then just man, he just is really impressive. Like he's gotten so much better year over year. Like he's a guy that that you point to and be like, yeah, that's like the development under Mike Norvell um, and, and Randy Shannon and Adam Fuller. Like they've they've done a great job with him, and then like even. You know, obviously Tatum, and that's another guy that went down for a period of the game, Tatum Bethune. That's right. Uh, he came back. Um, but, but yeah, he looked, you know, I thought Kalen just is is so impressive. I, I want to get your thoughts on him, Brendan, because I know you're a huge fan of his game. He plays with so much energy and effort, and that's kind of a constant for him. Uh, so even if he does, like, misjudge an angle like he did at times against – he did against LSU as well. Like, he's not perfect, uh, but he gives himself to make up or mistakes in play or, or later on because he just kind of keeps coming at you with energy. And that that sack that you mentioned was so pivotal in, in the first half of, of the game because Louisville had momentum. Uh, they had tempo. I think they converted like on a third and long earlier that drive, and then they got FSU in their uh, passing down personnel, and they were able to kind of keep moving the ball and running the ball a little bit. Uh, and then they found themselves, you know, first – I think it was first and goal. They were definitely inside the red quote, zone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt like, oh, Louisville is about to open this one up and, and score another touchdown. Um, but Kalen triggers downhill. I think it was like a read to like, you know, if you see this rollout play, you become the guy who attacks the quarterback and fill in a gap. Uh, he went forward with such authority and uh, control, like that combination of speed, but with a purpose and, and played under control, gets the sack. Uh, FSU ends up uh, getting a, a fumble recovery later in that drive. But you went from like giving up likely seven points to – he turned it into basic uh giving yourself a chance. What are you laughing at, Dan? Is my You're internet my, going? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I can see the little uh, stupid Comcast. It's showing it's not great. Should I stop? Well, I was gonna say, I mean, you're yeah, the com it's something him and Tatum Bethune both have. I don't know where you stopped for top like what you released talking about in the last like 15 seconds, Brendan, but, um, <laughs> but they have both linebackers have a great combination of like instinct and explosiveness that you can see at different points of the game. Like, especially on that sack, like you're saying it was a read and he's being smart there, but he just looks instinctive and explosive and that's fun to watch. That's basically, a lot. that's basically what I said. Well, well done, Dane. Um, thank you for articulating what I couldn't because of my shitty internet. Thank all, you. All we heard was beep, beep, bop, boop, bop. <laughs> Dane, remember when, when Zach's internet sucked last week? Yeah, what an idiot. <laughs> he he muted and unmuted himself like five times. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that killed me. <laughs> it was so funny. I like the dynamic, the dynamic that's setting up here is us starting to laugh at each other's mistakes what? openly. Uh, I think that's really good for chemistry. Uh, one last thing about the defense that – I think was concerned miss Fabian Lovett. Like we knew you, you would, if you had to lose him for a period of time, but you thought you had enough depth that defensive tackle to where you can kind of mask that for a little bit. Robert Cooper's PFF grade was pretty abysmal. I think it was like 41 ish, like low forties. Uh, so he was not great. And I thought that was like very evident that the interior defensive line in general was getting blown off the ball. Uh, and that goes to this stat that Dane mentioned earlier with the yards before contact being so high. But then also FSU had 22 missed tackles per true media uh, via, via PFF. Uh, 22 missed tackles. Uh, that's, I think, one of the most that they've had under this regime. That just is not very good. Uh, it, it needs to be better. This has been a good tackling team the last year and, and up until this point in the season. Like It's been 
a, a pretty good tackling team. So it's not something I'm like inherently super worried about right now. Uh, this could just be a matter of like sometimes a coach has another coach's number. Maybe Scott Satterfield has Adam Fuller's number, much like Adam Fuller has um, oh, who's the UNC defense or offensive coordinator? Longo. Does that sound yeah. like it? Phil Longo. Yeah. Phil Longo. Yeah, just like how Phil Longo's offenses are usually pretty explosive, and Adam Fuller finds a way to to slow those down. It could just be that this is what we're seeing. So three games into the season, it's a quarter way through the regular season. Like the defense hasn't been dominant like I was hoping it would be. Uh, but I'm not right now super concerned exiting this Louisville game. I think you had to kind of withstand this this one because you were not going to match up super well uh, against it, especially once you get you had the injuries that, that amassed in the defensive front. I mean, being without Jared Verse for most of the game and, and Fabian Love for all of it is – those are two of your your five best players out on one position group. That, that that's a toughie, uh, but you found a way. Kevin Knowles, shout out to him. He uh, he's someone who who struggled the week before against LSU, and he comes up with a super timely, but the, the timeliest of timely interceptions at the end of the game. There gets both feet and bounce right in front of the Louisville bench. Pretty cool. So FSU wins 35-31, moves to three and zero on the season. Boston College coming up this week, eight p.m. BC. Not super great. We will get into that matchup later in the week on On the Bench. Uh, and Dane and, and Trey will do it on, was it Noel Thy? Noel Enemy. Enemy. There's so many pun-inspired yeah. Noel podcast mm-hmm. names out there. I get them all confused. Mm-hmm. But we're the, we're, the, we're the punniest of them all. So make <laughs> sure to check that out. Because Dane and Trey do a really good job. It's fun. Uh, fun listen, informative, blah, 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 blah. All right. Anything else on the game? Big picture? Minutia, anything else before we move on to some recruiting stuff and, and wrap this up? Let's go. Recruiting. Recruiting. All right, Zach. So let's talk a little recruiting. There's a couple of big commitment ceremonies coming up this week for Florida State. Uh, one is from four-star linebacker Blake Nicholson out in California. That's coming up earlier in the week. The other one is Hakeem Williams, five-star wide receiver from South Florida. That's coming up on Friday. Let's start off with Blake Nicholson. Where Florida State stands for him, I still have a crystal ball in there. I'd feel a lot better about it if he wasn't visiting Oregon with his girlfriend the week before his commitment. But uh, let's fill it, fill everyone in with the latest is with Blake Nicholson and, and commitment times, all that good stuff. Yeah, apparently it's really messed up for me to say it's a bad look for him to be visiting Oregon um, just a few days before he commits. That's what Brennan told me in the group chat. Oh, you're so um, sensitive. Are you, is my sensitivity? Why can't it be sensitive? And that's my life. Stay away whoa. from it. That's why <laughs> I don't right. appreciate you encroaching anyway, on it. Blake Nicholson announces on Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, he's all the way on the West Coast out over there in California. Um, yeah, I mean, the Oregon visit makes things interesting. He was at Oregon's uh, win against BYU on Saturday with his girlfriend, um, Brendan Learned. And and he posts or there were some posts on social media. Um, that's kind of where we got wind of that. Um, yeah, I didn't learn. It was on social media that he was there with his girlfriend. That what I did learn is that he was only there with his girlfriend. Yeah, that's that what parents I mean. and his camp were not there, which I think is is a noteworthy, noteworthy detail. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's interesting. Um. I mean, that's only he he announces in what two days. So I still like FSU. I think they're going to land his commitment. I'm not entering crystal balls because I think they're stupid. Oh um, come on, show crystal ball, Dane. Let's pressure no, him into one. No, yes. I'm not. Um, I think Chris Oregon because of NIL uh, stuff. <laughs> oh, Dane, is, Dane, Dane is wearing green. I mean, why am I even talking if you guys are just going to talk over me? Oh, he's on? so sensitive, isn't he? Mm-hmm. All right. Why don't you handle recruiting, Dane? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I told Zach that I think he's probably looking too much into this too. Um, especially at him being there with Dude, Jesse's he goes girlfriend. To Oregon, you guys I, are going to be the the don't well, don't interrupt We're Dane, not saying Zach. he's don't interrupt Dane. He was talking. He was making a great point at how big of a baby you are. Dane, continue. I love it. I I think definitely the most notable thing is him being there without his his main people that would be aiding him in this decision. Um, him, he lives. Uh, I don't know how close he is to Oregon. That's three hour flight, three hour flight to Oregon. Okay. For the BYU game. That's I'm sure that was a really fun game to be at. He is being recruited by Oregon. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'd go to that if I was in his shoes too. That that sounds pretty fun with your girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just think Zach's probably, it's probably not that deep. Maybe it is. I didn't see I that don't, FSU wasn't going to get him. I, uh, said it's a bad I know look. you've uh, I said it's okay. a bad look. Okay. So don't spin my words, Dane. All right. I think Florida State lands him. Um, Randy Shannon went out to see him last week uh, to go watch him play. I think he scored like six touchdowns, like because he's also also plays running back for Men- Menteca, I think it's called out in California. Um, and he's a really good two-way player. It'd be a pretty big deal if FSU were to land him. But with that said, even if FSU lands him on Tuesday, I don't think Oregon's going to be, you know, out of it. Um, I think they're still going to try to recruit him all the way up until signing day. Um, and then with Hakeem, he's obviously Florida State's biggest target. I've been saying this for a while. I think he's the top overall target remaining on the board for FSU. Um, he's a, a real deal talent, 6'3", 200 pounds. I noted this today in the chat. Him and Blake Nicholson have the exact same measurables on 24-7 sports, which I think is just crazy, right? Like, Blake's kind of, like, a little bit, like, undersized linebacker. I mean, he's got the height, um, but his frame, like, he has he's not fully, you know, uh, built into his frame yet. But Hakeem's, like, this massive receiver. 6'3", 200 is pretty crazy. Um, but, but yeah, so that, I thought that was pretty funny when I was, like, doing that story today. Um, but, yeah, Hakeem... Hakeem's had a busy run of visits. He was at Florida State versus LSU in New Orleans um, to watch the Knowles win in dramatic fashion over there. And then he went to Pittsburgh versus Tennessee to see uh, Pitt. That's the school he's interested in, in that matchup. Um, Pitt lost that game um, if you weren't tuned in. And then this past weekend, he was at Texas A&M versus Miami to watch the Aggies beat the Canes over there in College Station. Um, th- those two schools are involved, but although, although I think Texas A&M is a bigger threat right now, um, for this decision, um, even though I, I think you mentioned on the last podcast, Brendan, that you think Miami could be a, a threat down the line just because it's the Long hometown term. school. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I noted this last time, like even if Hakeem commits to whatever school on on Friday, I don't think his recruitment's done. I still think he's told, uh, I believe, Andrew Ivan's on record that he plans to use officials. Um, two other schools. Um, I know he has one set up to FSU for the to Florida game on November 25th, um, but he plans to use other officials. So this recruitment will not be completely over. But but I personally right now, if I were to put in a crystal ball, although I will not use that feature right now, um, I'm boycotting it. I think that Florida State lands Hakeem Williams. Um, I think they've done an excellent job. And obviously the, the on-field results early on this season – have been awesome. Um, they really showcase what Mike Norvell can do uh, w- with the personnel, you know, that, that he needs to, to get this passing game rolling. And he's shown that through three weeks, right? Like LSU, that was like their main game plan. They didn't not run the ball super, super successfully, but Jordan Travis was, was slinging that thing as Dane likes to say. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, I I think through three weeks, like you've done pretty much all you needed to do to land Hakeem. Um, and then he also has a great relationship with Ron Dugans and multiple other members of FSU staff. Um, so I think FSU has done enough. Obviously, there's still, you know, a little less than a week to go into, until he announces. So things can happen. But that's where my my pick would, would lie right now. What about you? Which one? Both of you guys. You want me to go? Are you pointing yeah. at me? Okay. Yeah. I appreciate you not interrupting me. We let you go. You you were on a roll, man. Uh, when you're good, you're good. Um, so if I had to put in, well, at the end of the summer when Hakeem had visited uh, FSU a couple times in that month stretch, I felt like then if, if anything had to happen that day that I would pick Florida State. Uh, the next time he saw Florida State, and it was really important to get him there for the LSU game that Zach mentioned, I again thought if the recruitment ended on that day, it would be Florida State. He has visited two places since then, like Zach mentions, both Pitt and Texas A&M. Pitt was a loss, not a super explosive game. I think it was 34-27, something like that. It was it was an overtime game against Tennessee, but not super explosive. Uh, and then Texas A&M Miami this past week was pretty boring from a uh, an offensive standpoint. I think I read one article called Constipated, uh, which <laughs> if you're Florida State, that's about as good as, as it could all go for. He loved what the offense did against LSU with great atmosphere. Uh, he goes and sees a pit loss where they don't put up a ton of points. And then he goes to Texas A&M game where, I mean, just Max Johnson is – being a game manager and just getting the ball, you know, five yards downfield. Uh, it has gone as well as possible for Florida State. So with all that in mind, I felt good about it at the end of the summer. I felt good about it three weeks ago. There's nothing that's changed my mind from what, like, aspects that could be changing this mind. There's been nothing on field uh, early in the season that should hurt FSU. If anything, like, Florida State's the only undefeated team of the schools he's really considering right now. It is the best offensive team of the schools he's considering right now. It's done the most creative stuff with wide receivers of the schools he's considering right now. Uh, and a little bit of scoop for you guys, a little bit of intel. Putting on my Josh Newberg, you guys want some some in-show scoop? Uh, I am told that Texas A&M uh, tried to get an idea of what Hakeem Williams was going to do this weekend uh, or this upcoming Friday. Maybe he's trying to push for a silent commitment. And I believe Hakeem Williams leaves College Station, not committed anywhere at this time publicly or silently. Uh, he is still very much so expecting to surprise people when he makes his decision. Uh, so that's a really good thing that you know Jimbo is not able to close in person on Hakeem Williams at Florida State, is able to kind of weather that storm of him visiting a couple schools uh, before making his decision. I think it's Florida State right now. If I had to put in a crystal ball, I will not do a crystal ball for him just because I do not want to jinx. I don't want that blood on my hand. Uh, but I think when, when he makes a commitment on Friday afternoon, I feel really good about it being the Seminoles. Uh, we'll see. It's recruiting in the NIL era. We're recording this on a Sunday evening. There's a lot that can happen in the next few days. But I, I think FSU feels good about where it's at, and I think it deserves to be so. I think the Seminoles are in the driver's seat. Yeah, I was going to be a bit of a wet towel, but I won't say anything. I think we should <laughs> we should leave it at that. That's for right. it. Don't uh, be a wet towel. Don't be a wet towel, Dane. But a wet towel under the dome. It's also Josh Newberg joy. R.I.P. Josh. Yeah, I had a chance to see Josh this weekend, uh, but he was at the Louisville game. By the time he was in his spot, 
and I like where in tailgating, uh, I was already in the stadium and I was not walking out of the stadium. So I, wow. it would have been like an extra 15 minutes to get to where he was an extra 15 minutes to get back. You guys see how I walk these days. I probably would have taken an extra five minutes added to that. So you could have recorded an after the bench episode. Oh, uh, there was a picture that exists out there of, of Chris and Josh sitting uh, on the yeah. bench together. I, 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 yeah, regret not being there. Wish I could have seen him, um, but just not walking away I used to. Um, hey, w- quick thoughts on Blake Nicholson, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, I, I agree with everything that Zach said, even though we interrupted him. I, I think a few points here that I want to make uh, as we're you know, a few days from him making a decision. I jotted these down earlier uh, when Zach was being interrupted by Dane. Uh, one, FSU still feels good with where it's at with Blake Nicholson. Uh, two, FSU does feel less good about where it's at with Blake Nicholson, I think, than it did a week ago. Why is that? Well, obviously, the visit uh, – did I say to LSU? To Oregon. Um, to Oregon. I hate LSU just in my mind all the time still. Uh, FSU feels less good uh, because he visits Oregon. Again, mentioned earlier, only with a girlfriend. But for a while there, I think that the communication like with – with Oregon and Blake had kind of trailed off or wasn't super consistent for it to kind of reemerge here this close to the decision day is a source of like, Oh, that is a change. You know, when, when something changes in behavior with the recruitment or just anything in life, like it's noteworthy. And to me, that's noteworthy. Uh, and then third point, like Zach mentioned, I think this is a really good one, regardless of what happens on, on Tuesday. Uh, if he does pick FSU, I think you'll still have to battle Oregon through the remainder of, of his recruitment. So um, if the Seminoles go ahead and get Blake Nicholson, celebrate it. It's great. You'd rather have a player committed than have to try to flip someone. But uh, just this will not be one that you can just kind of rest on and be like, okay, we got him. We're good the rest of the way. We got our linebackers settled. No, you'll have to keep working for it. So. You're such a wet towel. <laughs> I was basically going to say that about Hiking Williams too, but I do think it's important that um that you do have the last opportunity for like a, a game day visit. Can we can we can I bring Hakeem. up a question? With, with Hakeem, they do right with that Florida, yeah, like that would be exactly. the last one. All right, which is so a great job. I want to bring up a question. For you you, you cannot. You're not allowed. All right, so and it, here's my question: um, Is it easier to hold on to a commitment, or yeah, is it easier to hold on to a commitment? when other schools, other blue bloods are trying to come and, and flip him, or is it easier to try and be one of the other schools that's trying to flip a commitment? Uh, circumstances will depend on the answer, right? But almost always a hundred, well, not a hundred percent of the time, but probably close to like 90 ish percent of the time, it's easier to retain a commitment to hold on to someone that is to flip someone. Uh, NIL yeah. makes it a little bit. I feel uh, like it. And, and also like you said, it's circumstantial, but I feel like if you're in Florida state shoes, like you don't really know how the rest of the season is going to unfold. Let's say you, you lose five games or something, right? Um, are you in a position if you don't have a, a player committed to you to go and try and flip a mm-hmm. Texas A&M commit, a Miami commit? Like, what, you know, the player's comparing these schools when he's looking at them and he's getting recruited by other schools while committed. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I think for Florida State, especially where Florida State is in the college football landscape right now, I think it's like harder. That's my opinion. We, we Sure. Go ahead, Dane. Sorry. I was going to say um, – Sure, like there's there's context to it though, right? Like yeah. if a guy commits to you in the first place, he has to be so interested in you that he decides to commit to you then. And in all likelihood, that's gonna be the end of it. But thinking about it like more from an even playing field, if, when you're the team that the guy's committed to, you're the team with a target on their back. Yeah, everyone's so you compar- can, yeah, everyone's yeah. trying to negative recruit you 
every or, school. Yeah, they, or they know they're making their recruiting plan uh, opposite of what – if you're like Texas A&M, you can say, well, our offense doesn't look great right now, and maybe sure Florida State can say, look at what Johnny Wilson's doing. But then Texas A&M could come out and say, well, hey, we need you to be the guy who gets us to where we, we need to be. And you can make that that selling point yeah. based on the opposite of what the school that currently has them is to give yourself a chance. And you um, can point to the recruiting that they have going on right now compared to what we have too. You mm-hmm. can do plenty. Oh, Texas point A&M. to the SEC. Yeah. You can do, yeah. Uh, so this is, we touched on this during the round table last week. And that was like the ability to what winning and what doing well on the field can do for the impact of recruiting. This is something that, None of us have really covered during our time at Knowles 24 7, respectively. So, like, unprecedented. Not just that they're winning, right? But that they're winning early in the season. Yeah. And in the early signing period era, I feel like I'm saying era a lot in the last few minutes in IL, early signing period. Uh, But in that, in in this time of history of like when early signing period is like leading to players signing in December and making decisions earlier and all being sped up, we saw this last year at Florida State, the 0 4 start carried much more weight with recruiting, I think, than the five and three finish. And of course, yeah. People are making their decisions, they're having first impressions of what that team looks like in the season based off of like those first, like that first month of the season. To be four and oh potentially, uh, knock on wood, uh, not to get ahead of myself. But if you have that as a selling point, that's house money to an extent. And that's something that all three of us have never really like we can talk about what I think that that's going to do for recruiting for Florida State, but truth is like we don't really know this is all projection because we've never really covered it before. Yeah. Like we, cause we, I, I wrote this in my story today. Like we said over the past few years, like all, all Mike Norville needs and Florida state needs is, is, you know, a winning team, um, you know, winning season uh, this fall. Um, well, here we are, right. Three, and know, um, a positive outlook for this coming week and, and a, a much improved team from last year at the very least. Um, so, yeah, I guess it, it's to be to be determined, but I think this week especially kind of uh, encapsul- encapsulates that a lot. Um, I think uh, you know how you do this week with, with prospects like Blake Nicholson and Hakeem Williams kind of um, resembles just how much winning matters. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, let's just put on the negative hat here, be the wet towel. If you don't get both of those guys, or God forbid, neither of them. Then you'd be like, well, what, what, what the hell else could you do? If you're Florida State, we're three and zero. Linebacker growth on the field is happening. Like the position, the players within the program, the ones you've gotten in as transfers, like are getting better. Wide receiver growth, like internally, like someone like Pokey Wilson getting better. Someone like Johnny Wilson getting game planned brilliantly and getting like highlighted. Like, what else can you do? And then I think that would be a different story of of how we we talk about. Oh, uh, the recruiting right now, right? Like that is blame NIL. Just blame NIL. <laughs> Brennan, uh, you're, you're talking about it a lot. Rising Spear, by the way, folks. Uh, it's always a good time to donate to Rising Spear, but you know, now might be the best time. They have a seventy percent off deal. I think. Do I they know. really? Yeah, Something it's like seventy like percent off for like a hundred dollars. Like the hundred dollar one, it's like you can get it for seventy percent off. I think it might just be for the weekend. It's only a buck. Pretty big though. <laughs> <laughs> For Zach Blostein, Dane Draper, Christy, Brett Nevitt, drunk somewhere in a gutter in, in Louisville like Edgar Allan Poe. I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Uh, we will talk to you guys later this week. Hey, we're going to have a bunch of a bunch of interesting, fun Ooh. content coming up this week on the On the Bench feed, so make sure you're subscribed to us. Uh, stay tuned. We'll talk to you guys later. Peace.
Go Knowles. Yeah.